I guess I need to stay back here now, man. Yeah. My name's Carlton. I am one of the pastors on staff. I'm the oldest pastor on staff, which means I'm the most senile. So glad you guys are here. Uh, if you got your Bibles, turn to Luke. We're still in the book of Luke for some of y'all. This is what, year and a half? On a three-year journey? Awesome. Uh, Luke chapter 14, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. As you're turning there, I want to ask you a question to begin our morning. What annoys you? What just bothers the teetotal snot out of you? Yes, that are vague and ambiguous. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Jerk. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Think of it in this way. What, what are the little annoyances in your life? What are the things that we would consider to be pet peeves? Somebody give me an example of a pet peeve you have. Tardiness. Who said that? Raise your hand. You a teacher? Okay. You studying, studying to be a teacher? Okay. All right. Not using blinkers. Sometimes I have to breathe because I literally lose my mind when somebody. Why do you think God gave you blinkers? <laughs> to use them when you're turning, to let people around you know hey, I'm turning. I'm going left. I'm going right. That would be nice for us to know, especially when you whip in front of me, in my family, in our minivan. That would be really nice to know. What's another pet peeve that you have? Ah, blue hairs driving in my lane. Yes. (laughs) Okay, for those of you that don't understand the way things work, the left-hand side, when you're driving on the road, okay, say it's... Say it's more than one lane. Say it's, more, it's like four or five lanes. If you're far left, that's the fast lane. Those are people who don't like the speed limit. They think it's a suggestion, okay? If you drive five to 10 mile hour below that and you're on that side and you wonder why everybody's riding your rear end, hello, move to the right, okay? Pet peeve, all right, tardiness. Inability to use blinkers. What is it for guys especially? If people just drove like me, this world would be such a better place. <laughs> to which my wife goes, uh, no. <laughs> Pet peeves are these things that just annoy us. They, they tick us off. But I was li- this week, now please understand, I'm trying to make things light because what we're getting ready to get into is not light. Um, it, it's kind of painful. It's not kind of painful. It is painful. Um, so I want to kind of make things light, but I do want to kind of illustrate a point. Why do you think these things irritate us so? Could it be that we hate these things so because they're somewhat a part of who we actually are? We project things on other people we dislike about ourselves. I was raised that if you're five minutes early, you're on time. But if you're on time, you're late. I was raised to be a courteous driver, that when you drive, you think of the other person. Allison, do I drive courteously? Yes, exactly. (laughs) It bugs the snot out of me when somebody is incourteous because I'm just as incourteous as they are when it comes to driving. I'm the one behind you going, what are you doing? (laughs) So I find there's a little bit of truth in that, that. The things that bug us the most about somebody else sometimes are the things that bug us the most about ourselves. And with that in mind, 
If you got your Bibles and you turn to Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, Gabe's already talked about this a little bit, but I'm going to cover this because the first few verses, the first six verses set up the next few sections of this chapter as kind of, this is the point, and here's some of the illustrations. Okay, so we've got the Bible here, we've got it open. Here's what it says, on Sabbath, one Sabbath. When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Now, I want you right now, if you read scripture, if you have questions of scripture, I question scripture a lot, not question like what God, what were you thinking, but I ask questions of scripture. Right there, my, that's really one of the leading Pharisees invited Jesus to his house. <laughs> Idiot. Okay. They were there to watch him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Again. We'll get to that. Just the point of that. Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? You think Jesus didn't know what he was talking about here? Do you think he was asking a question because he wanted an answer? No. But they remained silent, that is the Pharisees. And they took him and healed him and sent him away. And then Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And again, they could not reply to these things. So now Jesus told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, when you were invited by someone to a wedding feast, do you not sit down in a place of honor? Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, hey, give your place of honor to this person. And then you will be, begin to sh with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." Think of it this way, and we talk about Luke as being this idea of a meal with Jesus. Jesus was either going to, at, or returning from a meal. This is literally when you look at this. Now, I have a good friend who is Jewish. Um, I take self-defense, and it's Krav Maga, which is Israeli. So our instructor, the guy who founded our system, he's literally from the tribe of Aaron. Okay, I've been to, a, I've been, I sat through a three-hour synagogue service in Jerusalem, completely in Hebrew. Understood six words. I was like, seminary training, yeah. Okay. So I, I've seen a lot of the Jewish culture in that sense. I'm not an expert on it, please don't get me wrong. But I was asking Moshe, Moshe's his name, I said, Moshe, there's a lot of places where it talks about, you know, the dining area. And, and what's the, and he goes, what you don't understand is for a, for a Jew, we call our dining areas our little worship places. So for me to invite you to dine with me is huge because I just don't invite anyone. Because it is a place where we talk about being in the presence of the Almighty. So I make sure the people that I invite are worthy of that. Now, this is 2017, 2018. Imagine what it was like at the turn of the century. Jews did not invite anyone to dine with them. There was prestige. There was honor in that. There was you fit in. So when we begin our part here, it says, 
Literally, one Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, he was invited. That's crazy. Why would a leader, possibly in the Sanhedrin, invite Jesus to dine with him? Unless he was trying to set him up. Because to dine with him means he accepts Jesus. He accepts his teachings. He accepts who he is. He accepts all the things that he says. So that's huge. This is a setup. Secondly, we also have another player, the guy with dropsy. Does anybody know what dropsy is? It doesn't mean you're clumsy. Oops, dropsy. No, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> dropsy is a disease of the joints where your joints swell up, fluid collects, and it's almost where you, 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 literally you're hunched back, your knees are huge, your elbows are huge, and it was incurable. Basically, when you had that, you were going to die at some point in time because your body was going to fill up with so much fluid that your heart wouldn't be able to beat and you wouldn't be able to breathe. It was incurable. But the leaders of the Jewish community invited this guy to be at the dinner. This guy was viewed by them as cursed. Either he did something, he sinned in the sight of God, so God was punishing him. His family sinned, so God was punishing him. They viewed anything that wasn't normal as a curse from God. So now you have a rogue pastor, rabbi. You have a man who was cursed by God in the house of a Pharisee who was of the religious leaders of the day. Does this not smell like a setup? And you had the Pharisees. So you had Jesus, they viewed him as conniving. Or Jesus, they viewed him as conniving, but he was actually compassionate and very convicting. You had the Jews who were supposed to be compassionate, but they were the ones who were conniving. And then you had the man with dropsy who was viewed as cursed. Here's our play. Now, here's a question. Where do you find yourself? In reading scripture, which one of these do you view yourself as? Because when you read scripture, a lot of times we place ourselves into scripture. The problem is when none of us can be Jesus, right? None of us are that good. So we are one of two groups. We're either the guy who was with dropsy, we're cursed, we're ostracized, we feel like nobody cares about us, nobody likes us, nobody loves us, God's turned his back on us, or we're the Jewish people, the Pharisees, who believe we're holier than everybody else, we're better than everybody else, we're snobs. And our, view, our way of doing everything is correct and everybody else can go suck an egg. That kind of mentality. It says the religious, religious leaders, when Jesus said in this process, on Sabbath, you can't heal on the Sabbath according to the religious leaders' Jewish law. They bring this guy in front of Jesus. Jesus heals him because Jesus is compassionate. Jesus knew they didn't give a rip about this guy. They were using him as a ploy, but Jesus saw this guy and said, look, I love you and I'm going to heal you. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus heals him and sends him on his way. doesn't say anything to him. Because he knew the circumstances. He wasn't going to mess around and then try to put a point on this guy and say, let me tell you about it. He said, look, I'll get back to you later. i got to deal with the attitudes that are here right now because I guarantee this is one of Jesus' pet peeves. Religious people thinking they're better than everybody else. I'll say that again so it kind of hits home. Religious leaders and religious people who think they're better than everybody else. I believe that might be a pet peeve of God's. What do you think? Well, I have special knowledge. I know more about it than you. I am holy. Oh. Okay, now. 
No. And literally, Jesus begins to deal with the heart of the issue that's happening, not with the man with dropsy, but with the people that were there, the religious leaders of the day. He heals him and he sends him on his way. And then Jesus begins to say this, is it, is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath? Now, the obvious, the obvious answer is what? To the Jewish leaders, the obvious answer is what? No, it's not. They had so many rules on Sunday. They had, a, they had a rule for the number of steps that you could take on Sunday. Because if you stepped over this number, it was considered work, and now you were in sin. When we were in Jerusalem for two weeks, uh, when the Sabbath happened, literally where we stayed, there was no one driving. There was no one riding a bike. There was no one walking their dog. Nothing. I mean, the streets were empty. And so you got a bunch of foreigners kind of looking around going, do you want some pizza? You better have already bought it. <laughs> good luck. The stores are closed. Because a good Jew, a good religious Jew, does not do work on the Sabbath because what did God say? Don't work on Sabbath. And so they even viewed ministering as work on the Sabbath. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. You've missed the point. The Sabbath is not about this mentality of we go around, oh, the Sabbath is about us honoring, glorifying, worshiping God. And how are some of the best ways to worship God is by ministering to others. He's trying to get the Pharisees to understand you're focusing on the wrong thing when you focus on the rules. You miss the relationship. And he's trying to let them understand. And time and time and time again, Jesus confronts them with this. So he goes through this process of saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Why do you think they remained silent? Apathy? We don't care. They knew Jesus was getting ready to smoke him like a salmon? I don't know. Could it be nothing Jesus said was going to affect them because they'd already made up their minds? They refused to answer Jesus' question. They didn't explain that it was unlawful. Why didn't Jesus go, hey, look, you know, this is the reason you guys have said this and then patiently explain it to them. Why didn't he do that? Because he knew and they knew. They knew Jesus was going to heal that guy anyway. They knew it. The religious leaders knew that Jesus was going to do it anyway. And they were hoping to use it against him. The men had no more concern for their own rules at this moment than Jesus did. Listen to that statement. They had no more concern for their own rules. They knew it was unlawful to heal on the Sabbath, but they set Jesus up so he would do it and be sinful. That's jacked up. Sorry, I got preacher on y'all. I apologize. That's one of my pet peeves. Okay. So they refused to answer. The rules in this sense did not serve their own purposes. So they refused to answer. So Jesus, being Jesus, touched the sick man, healed him, sent him on his way. And then Jesus explained that it, when it served their purposes, these religious leaders did work on the Sabbath. When it served their purposes, they did work on the Sabbath. And then he gave them an illustration. Hey, if your donkey or your son falls into a hole, what are you going to do? Well, it's the Sabbath, man. Sorry. What are you going to do? You're going to go to work. You're going to pull them out. 
Jesus points out to them when it serves your purposes, you'll work on the Sabbath. And when he pointed it out to them, none of them could say a word because they knew he was what? He was right. So when you look at this and begin to understand this, Jesus was not one to mince words. He wasn't one to simply drop a truth bomb and go, ta-da. He literally wanted to get to the heart of the problem because this is the thing we forget about Jesus. He cared as much about the Pharisees as he did about the guy with dropsy. And we forget that. These were, these were the people of God. These are, this is the Jewish nation. This is the one that God said, you will be my people. And he cared about them so much. We just read before that he would want to gather them like a chick gathers her hens and protect them. And he cared about them. And he wanted them to get and understand the point of what he was trying to say. He was trying to let them know it's your attitude. It's your lack of humility that's going to end up whipping you. So he says this, literally, in this possibility, when you come into a place, let me show you your attitude. This is your attitude. When you step into a dinner, you want to go to the highest place of honor. That's where you want people to see you. You won't go to the lowest place, but you'll go to the highest place. The problem with going to the highest place of honor, if you're not the most honorable, what's the person at the dinner who set the dinner up going to say to you? Hey, you ain't that high up on the list, bro. Move down. And that's going to be what? Embarrassing. Because they made a big deal about everything. Jesus is showing them, let me show you your attitude in the way you do things. You seek the position of the highest authority because you want everything to flow the way you want it to flow. And the reason that you're in the position and place that you're at is because of that attitude Right there. You have no humility. Your humility is based in nothing more than look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. How many of you deal with children in any way, shape, or form? Raise your hands. Do you not see this every single day? I've got three boys. Love them to death. Oldest is 14, youngest is nine. They are the most selfish pigs I've ever seen in my life. Sorry, Elliot. Sorry, AJ. I love you to death, but would you stop touching me? Would you stop touching me? Stop touching. That's mine. That's mine. Why are you playing with that? What is that? That's not yours. That's mine. That's mine. No, it's mine. No, it's mine. No, it's mine. Oh, sweet Jesus. Okay. Now, please understand, I love my kids, and we're trying to teach them that what you should do is understand that what you call your stuff ain't your stuff because you didn't pay for it. So really, and let's get technical, it's my stuff. But we put it on loan to you, so, but it, you, we share because we're a family. Families share. We love each other. We desire the highest good for each other, so we allow this to happen and we share. The problem is, is when it comes to a person who is so focused on themselves, that goes in one ear and what? Out the other. Because it's not about what's good for everybody else. It's what's good for me, what I want, what I want, what I want. And if you can't tell... Just by reading and listening and understanding about the religious leaders of the day, that was their focus. Their focus wasn't what was good for the community. Their focus was what was good for me. Please understand, that's human nature. That's human nature. When I and Allison were getting married, we went to 
to premarital counseling. And uh, the guy that did our counseling, uh, Donald Wise, was like, um, you do realize you're a selfish pig, right? And I was like, what? He said, you realize you're a selfish pig. I said, dude, <laughs> offend much? He's like, no, seriously, do you understand how selfish you are as a human being? I'm like, yeah, sure. He goes, no, you don't because you haven't been married before. Marriage is that crucible by which men find out how much of a pig we actually are because he places a woman in our house who thinks completely different than us, who is built completely different than us, and does things completely different than us. And then he says, you two are to become one. And a man's going, yeah, okay. No clue. Women, you're much more intuitive than we are. Much more. God designed you that way. And so when a man enters into that, that relationship, he's got one idea how things are going to go. And about three months into it, he figures out very quickly, <laughs> that ain't the way it's going to go. I call Allison my Holy Spirit. Because she, she will impart truth upon me that will absolutely smack me across the forehead and make me think. Because a lot of times I get so focused on my way of thought that I forget there's another way of thinking. And Allison will bring that in and she will impart truth on me that will rock me to the very core of who I am. But it takes someone with that kind of influence in your life to bring that truth into your life. There's a statement that a guy said about, I guess about 10 years ago, it was a Kairos moment for me. It was a moment where God literally came down and just put a just hit me in the guts. I mean, just boom, hit me. And I was like, oh, and it, it dropped me to make me think. And it was this way. It was a friend of mine who said this. It's a truth. When you think about truth, now we can define truth however you want to, but truth is truth. And if you define it any other way, bless your heart. Um, truth is this universal concept that goes across all boundaries. It goes across all borders. It is truth. Gravity is truth. Jump up in the air, inspect this. Stay up in the air and bless your heart. Let's see how that works for you. One plus one is always going to be what? Unless you're doing some jacked up math. Okay? The second law of thermodynamics means that everything that is ordered at some point in time becomes disordered. It's going to fall apart. It's going to decay. That's the way all things are. So truth in and of itself, when you think about it, truth itself persuades by the force of its own reality. Truth persuades by the force of its own reality. Jesus dropping truth, he didn't yell, he didn't scream. He just dropped the mic. And when we impart truth, when my wife imparts truth, she doesn't have to yell at me. She just speaks to me. When you hear the truth of God's word, it's not like God's going, hey, don't you understand? God simply whispers. And he drops that truth in our life, and that truth persuades by the force of its own reality because we now have to put that into practice. And the Jews weren't willing to. The Jews had their own sense of what's right and wrong. They set up so many laws and so many regulations that it was hard to even get into a relationship with God because you were too busy doing versus being. And Jesus wanted to bring them back to center. And he says, listen, guys, look, look. He was so far above the fray of religious nonsense that it drove them crazy. And Jesus is saying to them, look, 
If you want to be God's people, you've got to serve other people. And you can't serve other people because you're serving yourself. Now, again, I told you this was not going to be fun, ha-ha, pleasant. I'm sorry. But I'm just saying what's in the scripture. Humility. 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 Jesus is explaining to them, you seek the highest places of honor. What is the opposite of self-seeking? Humility. And if you want to be the religious leaders of the day, you need to humble yourselves first and foremost because humility is essential to serve others. Guys, humility is essential to serve others others. Most of us don't serve because we haven't gotten to the place where we've humbled ourselves before God. Because we still think we can do it on our own. No, God, but you don't have to come down. I got this. I'm good. No, no, I know you're holding the world up and doing all that crazy stuff. I got this. How many of you said that? Okay. So you don't think pastors are perfect because we're not. We stink most and worst of y'all. Just most pastors won't admit it. <laughs> Thank God we have a staff that does. Because <laughs> we'll be the first parent. Oh, yeah, I probably jacked that up before. Oh, you know, talk about parenting. You know, I talk about parenting like I'm a great parent. I'm horrible. Go ask my children. They're right over there. Yeah, Dad's a great guy. He just stinks at this sometimes. Okay, that's fine. Jesus is pointing out to them where there's no humility, you will seek your own purposes and not serve others. Where there's no humility, you'll seek your own purpose, not others. So if humility is the point here, here's the question we got to ask ourselves, and then we'll get out of here. Is that cool? Okay. Let's identify what humility is not. Okay. Humility, literally, for everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is explaining to them that you have to humble yourself. You have to humble yourself. So we have to ask the question, well, what is humility? Well, let's look at what it's not. Humility is not pretending to be humble to manipulate others. You met this person yet? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm humble. I'm humble. Here's my book. Humility, how I achieved it. Humility is not meant to manipulate others. But I've seen guys and gals, both, so don't think you're gender exclusive here, who've used false humility to manipulate others to make themselves look better than they actually are. I've sat in the presence of a pastor who's pouring out of his pointing out his guts of all the stuff that he's struggling with. But when he gets up on Sunday morning, he'll tell his congregation, hey, just like Paul said, look at me. Look at me. With a husband who's cheated on his wife and doesn't know how to go about that conversation because he's so built up this facade that he's so godly and he's got all these things together. Humility is not pretending to be humble to manipulate others. It's also not putting yourself down to appear to be humble. You met this person? Oh, I'm just a worm. I'm a worm before the living God. Oh, and all that junk, okay? You met them? I met a few deacons like that. <laughs> not elders, but deacons. Okay. Putting yourself down to appear to be humble. It's not humility. Humility is not even self-degradation. 
Now, this is something that Christians and, and people alike need to understand. Just because you're putting yourself down doesn't mean you think less of yourself than you should. Again, all three of these, when you look at these in, in, in the microchasm of what's going on, is self-inflicted humbleness. Oh, I'm going I'm to be humble. I'm going to be humble. <laughs> Bless your heart. It doesn't work that way. Well, if humility is not these things, what is humility? Well, one, humility is people who only compare themselves with Christ, not others. Humility is people who only compare themselves with Christ, realizing their own sinfulness and understanding their own limitations. This is tough for many of us because many of us, we don't really know what Christ looks like. We've heard Bible stories and all this stuff, but we haven't dug into Scripture for ourselves. It's hard. But true humility is people who look at Jesus and go, you are the benchmark, and if I don't measure up to you, I stink. So I'm not going to compare myself to my neighbor who's doing this, 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 and this. I'm going to put myself and focus on you, Jesus, and I'm going to try to get to there, but I'm going to love him where he's at, regardless of the situation. Humility is recognizing your weaknesses and then seeking the grace of God through Christ. Okay? I made a D in communications in college. I'll say that again so that I'll sink it a little bit. When I took communications in college, I made a D because I couldn't stand up in front of a group of 10 other students and speak because I was so scared. I took a test the other day, uh, was filling out some applications and it says, uh, your greatest fear would be speaking in front of a group of such and such or you know, doing this or doing this or doing this. Which one of these? And I'm like, well, that ain't the first one. Because speaking in front of a group of people doesn't bother me anymore. But it's simply because I, I literally have recognized that if God wants me to communicate, then I'm going to have to get up in front of people and do what? Communicate. So I'm not picturing you all, you know, what's they say? If you, what'd you say? If you're, if you're nervous to speak in front of a group, just think of them in their underwear. I'm not. Okay? Because personally, it would be like, okay. So, but, but literally, here's what I'm thinking when I'm communicating. What do you need to hear? As this passage is being communicated, what, God, what have you said to me? And what you said to me is so important that I've got to say it to others. So I don't even think about that anymore. I recognize my weakness, but I sought God. And he empowered me through Christ to do that. Next, humility is also recognizing that you have gifts and strengths. You have weaknesses, yes, but you have gifts and strengths. And humility is understanding they need to be yielded and used as God directs not as you want but as God directs that's a tough one I want to be a missionary in Africa and I don't care what anybody says er, I'm going to do it you're white I mean not just white I mean you're like translucent white okay I mean like white people go dad because you got to relax okay that's how white you are. <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. But the thing is, so what? If God's equipped you to do it, then do it. But if you're doing it because you want to be seen as a super Christian or cool, or if you're not called to do it, please, for the love of donuts, don't go. Okay? 
because something bad's going to happen, all right? The mentality is the call. Recognize you've got gifts and strengths, but let God direct them. Lastly, it's a realistic assessment of yourself in light of Christ. True humility is a realistic assessment of yourself in the light of Christ and a commitment to serve him and others. This is true humility. It's not pretending. It's not lying. It's not manipulating. It is selflessness. It is yieldedness. It is serving. It is love. This is true humility. So here's what you've got to ask yourselves. This is the tough part because this is where we take what God has said, his revelation, and we have to respond to it. We need to do something with it. We need to act upon it. You need to ask some assessment questions about yourself as I've been doing for three weeks. Thanks, Gabe. Three weeks ago, Gabe said, you don't preach on this? I'm like, no, but I'll do it. And for three weeks, God's been kicking me going, are you humble? Do you understand humility, Carlton? Can you communicate this because you get it? No, Lord, I can't. I'm still struggling with humility. Here's some assessment questions to ask. Am I pretending to be humble? Am I faking it? And for some of us, this is a question that's got to dig down deep because we can't just ask it surface level. We've got to actually ask other people, not just ourselves. Hey, you think I'm pretending to be humble? Yeah, I think so. And you're a jerk. You know, I'm just kidding. That kind of mentality. So there needs to be accountability. Am I, am I pretending to be humble to get my way? Because I think this is the way it should be. Am I pretending to be humble to serve my own needs? Am I pretending to be humble to get position and status in the church? Hey, if you're pretending to be humble to get position and status in the church, dude or dudette, there's like 120 of us. Really? You're seeking status in a group of 120? Don't you have higher priorities? I Me, mean, seriously. Why fake it? Just be honest. Am I pretending to be humble to look better than I actually am? Or, these are the questions. Am I pretending to be humble to get my way? Am I pretending to be humble to serve my own needs? To get position and status? Am I pretending to look better than I actually am? Or am I actually walking in humility because I'm concerned about God's glory in his name, not mine. Is my passion and desire his glory in his name, not mine? Am I actually seeking to meet the needs of others above mine? Elliot, how many times have you heard me say that? Thank you, okay. When you go to school, seek to meet the needs of others before your own. That's walking in humility. That's being selfless. Are you actually trying and desiring to lift others up? Are you actually letting people know and walk and understand that you have weaknesses? Because let me tell you, a truly humble person doesn't give a rip if you know that they have weaknesses or not. That's why it's so fun to work with this staff. Because we own it. Gabe, 
Kyle, Ricky, Bobby, Jimmy, Mike. I'm sorry. I just went back to the 80s. I apologize. Uh, but we literally, when we get to staff meeting, we laugh at how jacked up we are and how good God's grace is and how wonderful it is to work with a group of guys and gals who understand it's not about my name. It's not about my renown. It's not about how good I look in front of the camera. It's about his name. It's about his renown. It's about God. And this week is kind of interesting, kind of the revelation and response to this. This week when we were in our MCs, what did we talk about? What was our point of teaching in MCs this week? The triangle. And in the triangle, what happens? There's three points in a triangle, okay? Jesus' life, he walked through life with three major areas of influence in his life. Number one was the influence he had from his father and with his father. That's the up. Literally, Jesus prayed to breathe in the presence of God. So as he walked about the day and exhaled, he exhaled the will of God. So he had that relationship with his father, that up. He had his relationship with his homies. Sorry, I talk in weird ways, so I apologize if you think I'm weird. He walked with his disciples, the 12. He had the three, he had the 12, he had the 72. He had that in connection with the church, with those that he was walking with. And they had influence in his life and he had influence in their life. And then the out, which is the world around him, the people he was connected with that didn't know Jesus, that didn't know God, and he had influence in their lives. This is kind of a diagnostic tool for you and I when it comes to humility. Up, how's our relationship with Jesus? In, how's our relationship with our community? Are we being upfront and personal with our community, explaining what's going on in our life? Out, are we serving people outside for the glory and the name of Jesus Christ? Or do we shun the outside because we're scared of what might happen? It's a good diagnostic tool to understand if there's humility or if it's false humility. And here's the thing, if there's false humility, can I tell you what you need to do? Confess it. Confess it. Own it. If it's all about you, own it. God, I am jacked up. Help me. I need a brother or sister to walk alongside of me in this and help me to, help me to just literally to be more, inf- just to be focused on you more and more each day. If you're walking in humility, great. Because there will be a season when you don't. <laughs> there will be a season when things change. Keep that diagnostic tool available. And I know you got questions. Because humility is one of those things that sounds so good, but it's so difficult to do. But Jesus clearly says to the Pharisees, it's about me. It's not about you. Father, help us to understand that. It's so difficult when it comes to the area of humility because most of us think we're humble even when we're not. Most of us feel like, hey man, I got this or I understand what's going on, but hey, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me as opposed to Lord Jesus, I don't have this. I'm really messed up. I really need you. I need help. I need men and women around me to pray for me. I need them to help me. I need them to serve with me. Help me, Father. Because we generally tend to walk in our strengths 
and to hide our weaknesses. Instead of understanding that our strength comes from you, it's not ours. And our weakness is on display for, to be able to be seen by you. And when we, like in James, when we confess our sins to one another, then we're healed. A part of revelation is God, you revealing and showing me, but you show me to respond. Your desire for me is to respond to your revelation. So many of us need to respond this morning. And the question is, well, God, what do I do? How do I respond in this? Well, one, just seek you. Another way to respond is to talk to someone. And so we'll have our elders set up near our communion table so that if you need to talk to somebody about this, they'll be there to be able to communicate with them. But another way that we show our obedience to your revelation is by engaging in communion. Communion is our way of remembering, Lord Jesus, all that you've done and who you are. So this morning, as we begin and as we get ourselves to the place of response, help us to do that, Father, that it honors and glorifies you, that it's about you, not us. We pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.